Hey guys, Danny here. So before we get into today's episode, I'd just like to quickly address a few things. First, we'd like to thank everyone who has listened, shared the show, or given feedback. We really appreciate your support and your efforts in helping us spread the message behind Screwed Up Moments. And then also, we've been getting some inquiries from listeners about where they can reach the guests or ask questions. And normally, we leave this information until the end of the episode. But just in case people skip that part, I thought it would be good to just mention it right at the beginning. So if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach out to either Happiness Initiative or Fable Productions through Facebook, Instagram, or email. The links are provided in the episode descriptions that you can find in your podcast app. And finally, important detail, if you have a screwed up moment story that you would like to share through the podcast, you can let us know through these same links or through the email sumsgpodcast at gmail.com. That is sumsgpodcast at gmail.com. All right, that's it. Back to the show. During my second year, I started to think about it seriously because one is affecting my life. I don't dare to go out to watch movies. Um, my phone has to be always with me. Uh, my phone has to be always uh, ringing. At the start, when I first got my portfolio to do that time, I will be sleeping in the living room with the lights on. Then um, like I'll sleep at maybe at 12. Then at 1 o'clock, I'll wake up and look at the phone. I wake up to get a phone so every hour I check the phone to make sure that there's nobody sending me emails and never call me and then it started to affect my sleep so much so that it started to affect how I interact with my friends even the people around me until to a point whereby I met my poly friend he was a long-term friend during that meetup he, he suddenly said to me Virun I think you are now like another person Welcome to Screwed Up Moments, the podcast where it's okay to fail and it's okay to try again. I'm your host, Danny. Throughout my life, I can recall three clear instances of disillusionment. The first was when I was six years old and learned from my kindergarten friends that Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy weren't real. The second was in my teenage years when I painfully discovered that love in real life is nothing at all like in the movies or TV. And the third was when I graduated and entered the workforce only to see the banality and mundanity of office life for what it truly was. Banal and mundane with the occasional dash of overtime. But then again, maybe it's just me. 
I mean, after all, the job that I ended up with wasn't exactly my first choice. After doing an undergraduate degree in finance and reading a bunch of Michael Lewis books, it was only natural to picture a jet-setting career in investment banking or some lucrative role in private equity. A job where you worked 80 plus hours a week, go out on crazy parties every Friday, get paid stupid amounts of money, and have enough to retire with your own private yacht by the time you reach about 40 years old. What I ended up with was starting as an auditor working for one of the big four. And when most of your time is spent facing the pivot tabling, chart drawing, automated calculating, and constantly crashing monster known as Microsoft Excel, it's safe to say that things haven't really gone according to plan. However, I will admit that working as an auditor wasn't really too bad. You get a ton of exposure, you get to interact with peers that are in the same age group as you, and the career prospects are pretty straightforward and stable. In fact, after getting rejected and no responses from hundreds and hundreds of applications during my job search, finally landing the job was a massive relief in itself. Sure, it wasn't the exciting, high-paying job that I was looking for, but at least it was a start. Nonetheless, I do often wonder what it would have been like on the other side. Would I have enjoyed that lucrative career in high finance? Would I have been better off having all that extra income? Who would my friends be if I was working in that environment? And finally, would I be fulfilled and happy working the dream job that I've spent years fantasizing about since university? In this episode of Screwed Up Moments, we are going to be exploring precisely this idea with the story of Yap Wei Ren, someone who quit his dream job. Hello, my name is Yap Wei Ren, and this is my Screwed Up Moments. Some of the people I see, they really have to work for it. They really have to fight for it. For me, it just everything just comes to me naturally. Poly life was very smooth sailing. I managed to get、uh, good grades despite not studying much. I picked up an instrument during my poly days, which is the viola. After joining for like first two weeks, I was already being placed on stage with my friends who have been learning for like two three years. And then that went on even to my NS days. In terms of like joining、uh, as a spec or as a commander, for me it also comes to me naturally. Then even for the uni days, you see people stressing out、uh, applying for university placement. I went through without interview. I just got accepted just by applying. Some of my friends was like, "Hey, you got interview? I I did this, I did that. The interview was a bit hard and this and that." I'm like, "Oh, that's interview. I don't even know. I just received the letter that I got accepted. I didn't know that that was it was wow so easy. Ah,、yeah. <laughs> just like that, they get in, in, in. Then I think that's where I landed into my dream job, whereby even landing myself into the dream job was also very smooth sailing. You hear a lot of horror stories from university graduates saying that oh I sent out a lot of resumes and then I didn't even get any response, or even if I do get any response, I go to the interview and then I just somehow couldn't make it through. For me, I think I remember I only sent out three. And then one got back to me, and I landed myself into the job just with that one interview. So throughout my whole so-called working history, ah,、uh, I don't really need to put in that much effort, seriously. So yeah. So that's Yap Wei Ren. 
aka Mr. Smooth Sailing. So, what exactly was this dream job of his? Investment banker? Stock trader? Doctor? Or lawyer, perhaps? Because I studied, in, uh, I studied marine business. So for us, um, for our class especially, the angle you must be is a shipbroker. So, just to clarify, a shipbroker is someone who acts as the intermediary between two parties looking to buy or sell cargo vessels. Yeah, those huge gigantic ships that carry literally tons and tons of merchandise in and out of Singapore every single day. Not exactly the most common idea of a dream job. When I got my grades as I was applying into poly, to be honest, I don't really know what I want. But there's only a few things in my mind. One is, uh, you must study something that can get you a job. And the other one is, you must get yourself into a job that pays you. Because uh, at that point in time, uh, all the horror stories I heard around me was that, oh, I studied this, this is something I don't like. Or I studied this, and then I realized that after I graduate, the job prospect is not there. So that's why I set the criteria that there must be jobs available and uh, it must be able to pay me. La. Yeah. So with this criteria in mind, I was flip- I remember there was this uh, booklet that was given to us, whereby there were all the causes and then the description about the causes. So I was flipping through it. Actually, I was thinking, um, perhaps this is the industry that I should go for. So I decided to apply and, well, I ran in again easily. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, so would you say that um, your sort of career decision to enter this field is motivated more out of practical practicality rather than any pursuit of passion? Or Yes, yes, because I noticed that... Um, there are people around me at that point in time pursue their uh, field of choice out of passion. But somehow, uh, when you put reality in there, it doesn't turn out that well. La. So at that point in time, in my mind was, I think let's just focus on the practical aspects. Then we'll see how from there. Mm. Okay, so in retrospect, when you say like you landed your dream job as a, as a ship broker, mm. it's more of like, dream job given your your feel la. it's mm. not really like you're from like a little kid that kind of dream no 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 it? when I was little kid I think I want to be a taxi driver <laughs> <laughs> because I, I like cars so I was like a taxi driver and my grandfather is a taxi driver okay so um, yeah tell us about uh, this dream job then uh, what it is what you do on a daily basis etc okay yeah. uh, so I think first how it became a dream job was because it was painted very well in the school. Uh, when we were studying in in poly days, our lecturer would be like, oh, go be a shipbroker. You know, shipbroker sell ship. Buy and sell ship. One ship, how much? You know, millions of dollars. You, you even hear like some even hit like 10 or 100 millions of dollars. And then you earn the commission from there. And the commission is like 1.25%. So you just imagine you sell one ship, a few hundred thousand USD in your pocket. So just one ship you do for a year and then you can go and rest for the rest of the year. Then next day you just sell another ship. So so to us, it was like, wow, easy money. So easy to do. So one year just sell one ship. It's really not that difficult, I mean, in terms of numbers. When you Google the definition of the word disillusionment, the first result reads as such. Disillusionment, noun, a feeling of disappointment resulting from the discovery that something is not as good as one believed it to be. 
To be disillusioned, therefore, is to be negated from an illusion. And that means two things. First, the subject, or whoever is experiencing disillusionment, has to first believe in an illusion. So somehow, this was the impression painted to us. So everyone, of course, wants this kind of luxurious and easy life. So everyone was like working towards that. So that's how it became my dream job. The second part then comes when that illusion is broken and the truth smacks the subject right in the face. So after I applied, um, then that's where reality hits you. Then you realize that it's not that uh, lucrative as it says, lah. Basically, after I got my first, uh, I need to, I need to liaise with my first few clients. In my mind, every day it was like, I don't think this is a job for you. I never liked the service industry. Uh, it was never me because I was someone very impatient, very rash. Then. So, but in the service line, it's really very different. You have to be always nice. You cannot be angry. And then you need to be mellow. And then in the shipping industry, everything is very fast-paced. Everything is expensive. Any form of dispute or any form of disagreement is in thousands of USD. So naturally, everyone is very, very stressed about it. On a regular basis, you, you need to keep listening to people shouting at you. And then you have to pick up all the facts and then pass on to the other party. And then while you are passing on to the other party, naturally the other party will not be happy about it because everyone is in dispute. And then the emotion runs wild again, and then they'll be upset at you, they'll be screaming at you. And yep, and then that's basically the cycle. The work culture is pretty hectic. Uh, because shipping doesn't stop. We can't stop the ship just because we want to sleep. So if there is something that happened in the middle of the night, uh, especially something critical, then you must attend to it. So that happens actually on a routine basis, uh, especially when the ships are already in the port. And you have to resolve the dispute immediately because you can't just let the vessel sit there and wait. Any time you use, you need to pay. Any time you occupy the, the berth, you need to pay. Uh, any delay you also have to pay. So when the clock start ticking and then money start counting, that's where the problem arise because the next thing happens when there's dispute, people will start pointing fingers. And it's not a easy thing to do as a ship broker because whatever you do or whatever you not do, in the end will become your fault. Yeah. So I think that's why it's a bit stressful to be a ship broker. <laughs> Personally and emotionally, I got very anxious to the point, the, the most serious point I ever got was I was very afraid of my phone to ring. I remember clearly there was one day I came to the office early. I was really very tired. I was like sitting in the, at my desk and then I was almost dozing off and I was like stoning. Then uh, as my boss walked past me, then uh, suddenly my phone ring and then I jumped. And my boss was like, turned and looked at me, and then he got a shock, like, why did you jump when your phone ring? So then it was then that I started to notice that, yeah, I always jump when my phone ring. And it got so serious such that on the MRT, if 
someone else's has the same ringtone and it rings, I will jump. So I, I somehow like got conditioned to my own ringtone. And yeah, that was, that lasted even after I left the job. I did quite some time. Then I decided to change my ringtone. I think the ringtone has some issues. So I changed the ringtone. I think it got a lot more better. Yeah. Stories such as Weirin's are not uncommon within Singapore. In the fast-paced metropolitan city-state, multiple studies on workplace stress and anxiety reveal a grim picture. For instance, the tech company Kissy showed that Singapore ranked in the bottom 10 in a study of 40 countries for work-life balance, while placing second for most overworked cities behind Tokyo. In another study by the health service company Cigna, nearly 92% of the Singaporeans surveyed indicated that they faced stress at work, with 13% describing the stress as unmanageable. But perhaps what is most revealing is how the current state of workplace stress and anxiety relates to this idea of disillusionment. While factors such as support at work, tight deadlines, heavy workloads, or unreasonable bosses are definitely important, not a lot of people question the underlying conditions that allow these factors to foster and thrive. Conditions that result in young Singaporeans becoming overly competitive and overly materialistic, and the same conditions that led Weiren to buy into the illusion of his dream job in the first place. In some regard, you could consider Weirin as being too naive and innocent, and frame his disillusionment as a sort of coming-of-age story. But what makes it different from, say, learning about Santa Claus, is that the breaking of the illusion is not necessarily immediate. In fact, it can feel like a slow, unhurried spectacle, akin to a flower that is wilting, or a virus that slowly spreads throughout the body. A better way of describing this type of disillusionment, perhaps, would be burnout. During my second year, I started to think about it seriously. Because one, is affecting my life. I don't dare to watch movies. Even my friends also know, when you go out with Weiren, you watch movie with him, you better get an outfit because he will need to leave the theatre. Um, my phone has to be always with me. Uh, my phone has to be always uh, ringing. At the start, when I first got my portfolio to do that time, I was very worried or afraid that I may miss out some important emails or important calls, uh, such that at night, I will be sleeping in the living room with the lights on. Then um, like I'll sleep at maybe at 12. Then at 1 o'clock, I'll wake up, I'll look at the phone. 2 o'clock, I'll wake up, look at the phone. So every hour, I'll check the phone to make sure that there's nobody sending me emails and never call me. Yep. So that was the start. And then it started to affect my sleep. It started to affect how I interact with my friends, even the people around me. My sister saw that I'm on the verge of getting burnt out because previously she was also in that situation. So every week or every one, two weeks, uh, she will ask me out. Then for us, it's always talking about how bad the work is, how bad this is, how bad that is. And then at home, uh, sometimes when I speak to my parents, for just no reason, I, 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 I might snap. As something that as they say or they do or they don't do. So it reaches a point whereby I think I'm becoming very toxic to the people around me. And the things that we are always talking about are always about work and always about how bad work is. It becomes a negative vicious cycle and a downward spiral whereby you start to lose hope, you start to get disappointed in things, you start to lose your focus, you start to lose everything. Like when you first join, you are very motivated, you want to do this, you want to do that, you want to achieve something in life. 
uh, but after a few years, it becomes like, ah yeah, it's always like that, lah. Ah yeah, this gonna screw up one. Ah yeah, this is like that one. And I think it was very uh disappointing and demoralizing until to a point whereby I met my poly friend. He was a long term friend. He he suddenly said to me, "Virun, I think you are now like another person." Because last time you were like this, and now you were like that. Last time you were a fighter. You you saw that when there were issues or when there are problems, you will really go for it. You will solve it. You will fight it. Now you are just like, oh, there's a problem. Just leave it be, long problem, long. I remember, if I never remember wrongly, that photo was taken for my application for the international driving license. Yeah, a, a photo for the ID. So I went to the shop downstairs at my at my place, and then uh, I think that was the period of time whereby people around me were telling me that you are very tired, you're very tired. I was also feeling very tired because I can sleep for nine hours a day. I woke up feeling tired, and I just didn't know what was wrong. I just went on. So I went to took that photo. Um, I I I sat a chair, and then the the lady was setting up everything, and then she was taking a photo. Then when she was about to take the photo, she was like, "Atiya, you need to smile, ah, you need to smile more." I was like, "Ah, uh, okay, 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 I need to smile." So back in my mind was I was telling myself, "Okay, smile, smile, smile now." So I thought that physically I was smiling. Um, I know that photo ID you shouldn't have a very big smile. So I, I thought that I was really smiling. And then next thing in my mind was, "Ah,、uh, your gaze," because the next thing people see is your gaze. So so from your eyes you sh- should look like you are smiling. So I'm like, "Okay, I need to smile, I need to smile." So I sit down there with the image in my mind that I'm smiling, and then the photo was taken. Then after the photo was taken, then the auntie was like, "Auntie, I thought I told you to smile. How come you never smile?" Then、I、look at the photo. It was quite shocking to me because it was like, "Oh my! I look so like ghostly." I didn't know that I was not smiling. And then the auntie made a comment like, "Did you play game the whole night? That's why you never sleep, is it? That's why you're so tired." I was like, "Uh, yeah lah, okay lah. Yeah, I was playing game." <laughs> One of it was with my friend James. He was undergoing his specialist diploma in career coaching. So interestingly, during his course of study, he needed a specimen to do a video. Ah,、uh, so basically, in the video, he needs to ah、uh, take it as though I'm a client, and then he needs to do an intake session. So of course, before that, we there are some some assessment and tests that we need to go go through. So I was doing the test and assessment, and then the the results will be evaluated during the 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 video taking. So during that video taking, for me, I treat it like a real session because I do have issues that I want to surface and I want to know more. So during that first session,、uh, that only one session, it made me ponder a lot on whether this is the right choice, whether. In the assumption that if this is the right choice, and then how should I move on? Because everything is already taking a toll on me. And if you think that this is the right choice, then what you should do, or should not do, and then if this is a wrong choice, then what are the moves that I need to make? Yeah, these were the processes that、uh, I did think about it. I did think about it, but not so in depth, not so clear, and not so concrete、uh, as compared to when you are with.、Um, My friend who is a counselor, they really dig into your issues deeply to see what is the the root cause and then how you should go about coping with it or dealing with it. Yeah. 
obviously it seems like this counseling session had a big impact on <laughs> yes, yes, yes. on you. So then uh, how did you proceed uh, after this after these sessions or after this realization that you know something had to change and so I think somehow um I got my momentum back in, in momentum in the sense of like things start coming back to me. So first what happened was actually the the video I had with James. Next was the friend that I met up and then he told me that I have really changed. Uh, this too was a really a wake-up call. And then subsequently, I have very good support from my colleagues. Uh, we go out to have meals very often, uh, lunch, dinners. So during one of the dinner, somehow, I think the three of us was, I think, at a point whereby we really want to give up. Somehow, the three of us just poured everything, what we want to say, out to one another. So what they said that day was, my first colleague was like telling us, um, I think I want to quit next year. Then so she told us why. Then we move on to the next colleague. She was like, oh my God, I also want to leave next year. Then then I'm like, uh, me too. Then the three of us was like, oh, so we all three want to leave. So I think it got us even closer. We support one another. We try to make things better for us. We try to help one another when we really needed help. Uh, we even plan how we should tender our resignation, like who first, what's next. And what should we do when, uh, like, like because I, I will go first. I was very, very nervous uh, because that is the very first resignation letter that I ever gave. I never thought that I would give because my family background, my dad and my mom works for companies that, like, they were, my dad is in his work for 35 years. So it never crossed my mind that I would resign from any company, but somehow I need to do it. So... Yeah, so I really planned it. So I came early in the morning so that there was no other people around. So it's easier for me to tender my resignation. And then um, I think there was too much drama that I watched. So uh, how I did it was I came in the morning, I sat at my desk. So it was ve- it was a very anxious wait and it felt very long despite it was only 15 minutes. Then my, my boss routine is he'll be at the lounge. Then after that he'll come in at around 8.45. So I reached around 8.40. So he came in at his desk. So I took the letter in my hand. So I took a deep breath. I stand up, I walk towards him. And I put the letter on his desk and then I slide it to him. <laughs> I think by then he already know what this letter is about. So he opened and then he asked me a few questions. Luckily, those questions were yes, no uh, answers. Because I was so nervous, I felt almost breathless. I don't think I can talk. So when I said yes or no, it was not yes, no, it was like, uh, yes no that kind of like I tried to force something out because I was so nervous then uh, yeah there were so many thoughts running in my mind nothing about the resignation but can you speak properly or not? can you do this or not? can you can you do this and that or not? then luckily it was like for a while then um, yeah everything was done I went back to my seat then uh, came my colleagues so they walked past my desk then they looked at me with the eye like did you tender your resignation they was like mm-hmm, yes I did so I nodded my head so on the final day, my sister came and fetched me. I remember putting everything in a box. My friend, my, my colleagues were telling me, you look more like retrenched than, than, than you resign because there's so many things you have to bring back. I was like, yeah, 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 I know. So um, surprisingly, it was a happy day for me. I went around shaking everyone's hand, telling them that I'm leaving. Then my colleagues were like, why did you do that? I mean, nobody does that when they resign. I was like, I don't know. I just felt like going around telling people I'm leaving. Then... um. So I took all my boxes and then I, I left the office. I think, if I never remember, I, I left my colleagues together. 
So I was taking the stairs down and they was like, you, you look so happy, you should take a photo, you should take a photo. I was like, why? So you should take a photo, lah, you know, just for memory. I was like, okay, okay. So I took a photo and then uh, I didn't think so much about it. So I sent it to um, another group chat. Uh, inside was all, some of my uni friends were in there, my very close uni friends. And after I sent them, they were like, why did you look so happy on your last day? So it's your last day, you know, you're going to get jobless. You should be sad. I said, but you look so happy. I was like, oh, is it? I said, okay. So yeah, so that was my last day. Looking back, actually, I shouldn't be that harsh on myself because um, there were a lot of things that is not within my control at all. But somehow, I placed it on myself. And I think people around me was like moving forward and I didn't want to stand still by leaving this job. But somehow, along the way, I burned myself out. I don't think I made a wrong decision because even throughout that period of time, uh, it also made me realise and learn a lot of things for myself. I think I would tell my past self when I was working, the one thing I would say is, just change. Everyone is replaceable. If you think that this is not for you, just go ahead and change and do something to your life. I mean, this is your life. The company is just part of your life, but it's not your life. So other people have their own lives to lead. You don't need to think about them. Maybe be more selfish a bit, I think, in taking care of yourself. Just find your own path and walk. Yeah. What is the end thing that you want to see in your life when you are old and then you're looking back and then what you want to tell other people? Maybe for some people, it's really the money but they want to be rich at the end of the day. For me, it's more of like, I have stories to tell. So that's why I set up Lion Mind. I'm not worried that I fail. Even if I fail, it's also another story to tell. And I think at least it's a fun story to tell rather than a sad one. <laughs> yep. So yeah, I think don't be afraid to try. Uh, don't be afraid to fail. I think I am more myself. Whenever I... I tell my close friends that oh I'm like this I'm behaving like this in the company I'm like this in the company so I re-enact everything they will tell me that oh my god you're so fake like so disgusting this is not you lah. then I'm like yeah I know right for for four and a half years I was like someone else so now I think I am more myself and then I can be myself because back at my old workplace there are certain things you can say you cannot say you should say and you should not say but at, at Lion Mai we even to our uh, staff and to our volunteers, we also tell them, just be yourself. I mean, there's no point of you trying to be someone else here. And then we realize that, yeah, the someone else fit, but the real you doesn't. So what happens next? I mean, I mean, it's not a fit for you. So I think that was the one main thing that I find it fun working in Lion Mai. Yeah, and there are a lot more laughter. Laughter in the sense that because we are genuinely happy and it's fun, Sometimes I think we were all very hopeful in the sense that uh, when we do certain things, oh, it's going to bring this, oh, we're going to do that because um, we can achieve this, we can achieve that. Yep, there was, there's a lot more forward-looking things back in Lion Mai. I think which was very different when I was in my previous workplace, whereby it's all firefighting. Now it's more of like problem-solving and everyone really discuss things out. Yeah. And so with that brings the end to today's episode. 
Thank you so much for tuning in, and much thanks to Yap Wei Ren for sharing his truly remarkable tale of disillusion and rediscovery. I don't know about you guys, but as I've mentioned in the introduction, I've been through several periods of disillusion and burnout myself, and just hearing Wei Ren talk about how he quit his job and how he rediscovered his passion and zest for life, I mean, just touched such a raw nerve. Like you could literally hear the smile in his voice when he was talking about those moments. It was that authentic. Also, since uh, quitting his job as a shipbroker, Weirin has gone on to co-found a non-profit organization called The Line Mind that provides counseling and psychological services. They are a close partner of Happiness Initiative and frequently shows up at their events, so do say hello if you get the chance, or you could visit their website or social media pages to check them out. Links will be in the description. With that being said, the Screwed Up Moments podcast is brought to you by the Singaporean Social Enterprise Happiness Initiative, an organization that advocates for happiness and well-being through their message that happiness can be a choice. Production and editing was done by me, Danny Cordy, on behalf of Fable Productions, with assistance from Clarissa Wemple and executive producers Simon Liao and Sherman Ho. Music used throughout the episode was from Blue Dot Sessions, and the theme song was composed by Rico Lowe and Julian Law. If you enjoyed listening to the Screwed Up Moments podcast, you can help out the show by sharing it amongst your friends or by subscribing and leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Otherwise, if you have any questions, suggestions, feedback, or if you have your own Screwed Up Moment story to share, you can drop us a message through the email sumsgpodcast at gmail.com or through the various social media links in the description. Once again, this has been your host Danny for the Screwed Up Moments podcast, reminding you that it is okay to fail and it is okay to try again.